Use us tonight, Lord. Use us tonight, Lord. Thank you. You're so kind. You may be seated. At the close of a most magnificent letter to the Colossians, Paul takes care of some last-minute instructions and a few parting salutations. And then he enters into that line of names that he calls. He brings into play a, a name that just simply he calls Marcus. Then, as though to help them recall the young man of whom he speaks, he adds, sister's son to Barnabas. Then he writes that phrase that haunts me when I was introduced to it reading scripture here some time ago. I have not been able to shake loose from it. It's haunting me and I guess perhaps the weight of it has carried over and every waking thought of this I was pointed to this meeting that statement just simply says if he come unto you though being a rather obscure player in the scriptural drama and known more perhaps by his family and by his associates than he was by his own, or on his own. Yet, he did play a part, and who knows, but what a very significant part in the total drama. He first came into the scriptural limelight, not spotlight, but perhaps somewhere in 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 the area of light. In Acts the twelfth chapter, verse twelve. The setting was when Peter was freed from prison by the angel during the prayer that was being made by the saints of God at Jerusalem. Now you remember that they had already killed James, and they were intending, because they had satisfied the howl of the mob of the day, they were intending to do the same to Simon Peter. But prayer at a saint's house changed the situation. Prayer at a saint's house. Not prayer at the temple. Not prayer at the synagogue. But just a humble saint felt like maybe inviting some folks over because there was a critical need 
prayer at a saint's house change the course of destiny. That saint, the Scripture just simply says that the saint was Mary. And then it says, identifying her, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. I think perhaps that uh, either she was widowed by now or maybe it was the fact that her husband was not uh, one who embraced this truth. I, I, I really wonder why it was simply referred to as Mary's house. But Acts 11.22 introduces another scene now. And this new scene is the scene of Barnabas, who was sent by the church at Jerusalem, the Scripture says, to go as far as Antioch. I guess perhaps early in Barnabas' life, he was touched with a feeling of people who were beyond. And it was while he was in Antioch, that evidently the memory of a man who had come across the scene or came through the limelight of, of activities in that early church sometime before that. And he had such a such a powerful such a powerful testimony and almost such an unbelievable story and a tale that he had been somewhere in the Arabian desert learning something in the Spirit. And he got to Antioch and Barnabas remembering that and remembering that that young man was from Tarsus. Barnabas just has one of these wild ideas that some folks sometimes blame us for. Barnabas goes to Tarsus, the Scripture says, seeking Saul. And Saul was found of Barnabas. Not only found of Barnabas, but Barnabas brought Saul back to where he was laboring at Antioch. And the Scripture says that now for one year, Barnabas and Saul worked together, teaching and laboring for the cause of God there at Antioch. And it was this union. Acts 13 introduces us to the union of Barnabas and Paul, the camaraderie that they felt with each other. This is what gave birth to the first missionary journey. And it was on this missionary journey that Barnabas's nephew, who happened to be called in the Scripture John Mark at this point. John Mark accompanies Barnabas and Paul. And it was on this, I suppose, quite successful missionary journey that 
something happened in John Mark's walk, his labor of love, his feeling for the missionary team, or his feeling for the for the efforts that they were about, or I really don't know because the Scripture does not say we can just read into it what we would. But the story goes that John Mark left Barnabas, his uncle, and Paul, and returned to Jerusalem. Then we find again Acts 15, starting with verse 36, where this time it was Paul who had the burden to go on another missionary tour. And he made, of course, his desire or burden known to his comrade in missions, Barnabas. And uh, he just simply said, we need to go and check on the brethren in every city. Barnabas evidently agreed but as he agreed that that would please the Holy Ghost for them to go, he had a stipulation, and that was, I want John Mark to go with us. Somehow or another, this didn't register right with, with Saul, or perhaps now Paul. And the, 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 the contention, as the Scripture says, and I, I refer to it perhaps as, as tension, tension arose so, so sharply over this situation. Paul not agreeing that John Mark should go. In fact, I can, I can hear in my mind the conversations and I don't know whether I, I hear perhaps as much as, as my respect for them would, would, would allow or maybe as much as what really happened because of my respect for them. But the tension became so great that it was decided, evidently Barnabas said, if John Mark don't go, then I don't go. And Paul evidently said, if John Mark goes, I don't go. So the famed missionary team was broken up. Barnabas goes, of course, with his nephew, John Mark. And Paul gets a new name. A new name is introduced into Paul's missionary journey. And that was a young man by the name of Silas. Well, you don't, you don't hear an awful lot about Barnabas and, and uh, Marcus from that point. It's not uh, just, just their missionary tour. It uh, sort of fades out of the picture. You do hear about Paul and Silas and... You hear about the the jailhouse experience and the earthquake and some wonderful things that uh, that we enjoy preaching about. But after after all of this has faded away, 
The year that all of this started was in A.D. 42, and now it's A.D. 64. And Paul is, has been in jail perhaps for some time now. And uh, he's spent a lot of great time, a great time in jail. Jails are not what you would normally call a great time. But he made it that by writing and instructing and sending letters. I've, uh, I've marveled at the way Paul, in his jail experience, I've marveled at the way he might have been incarcerated himself, but never allowed his spirit to become incarcerated. He was in jail, but the jail never got in him. If the jail had ever gotten in Paul, we would have never known the beauty of the Pauline epistles because it's difficult from the heart of a bitter man to do anything that's good or sweet. The jail never got in him. But not only did he use this for time to write these epistles and these instructions that we literally cling to and adhere to today, I kind of feel that there was a time through those years for some soul-searching, some reminiscing, going back over the trails of yesterday, some decisions that were made, some misunderstandings that happened, some misgivings that took place, some breaking up of teamwork, and maybe the fringe of a breaking of friendships. I really don't know the fullness of the story. I really don't know. I, I just, I, I think maybe the Lord allows just sketches of these things sometimes to appear in Holy Writ so that we can take them and apply them to circumstances that maybe we presently are going through. And we read into those biblical characters things that would relate to us. Does that make sense to you? I really don't know the fullness of the story because it's not all revealed, but please dream with me for just a little bit. Paul is in jail now, and he's writing to one of his beloved flocks. And that flock, of course, was at Colossae, known as the Colossians. And in that letter, he is mentioning uh, the, the different entities, the different personalities, the different reasons why some are going to be coming to them and returning from them back to him. And, and then uh, he, he talks about another that, that greets you and he wants you to know that he's doing well. And then just, just out of the clear blue sky, he brings into focus, and he said, Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. And then in parentheses, it says, touching whom ye received commandments. I just, 
I just want to bring him up to you. I, I, I want to... I just want to put him back into the picture here for just a minute. I don't know that he's coming. It's not a, it's not a decided thing yet. It's still a little iffy. I, I, I really don't know. But I've just gotten wind that maybe, maybe he's coming. But if he does come, I want you to take all of the things that were commanded to you, the things that were said, the things that were done. Maybe you've heard something about what happened to Barnabas and myself over him. I just... I just want to, I just want to tell you that if he does come, don't treat him like a stranger. If he does come, don't treat him like an outcast. If, if he comes, and I, I kind of get the feeling on the inside of me that whatever it was that had happened in Paul's mind, having time in jail to reminisce over the past, that maybe there's just a little tinge of hope that Marcus does show up. Or maybe maybe there's some things that, that Marcus missed out on back yonder. Maybe there were some things that, that, that he needs, he needs to have something to counteract or to fill back in or, or build up of something maybe that was lost back there. And I, I, I don't know, it may have been that, that a profound love and appreciation for Barnabas once again entered into the picture in Paul's mind. And simply for the sake of Barnabas' family. Barnabas had been a close friend. And, and, then, and then there was Barnabas' sister, Mary. And Paul remembers, no doubt, the contribution that Mary made. It was her house and it was her dream. And John Mark was a part of that first prayer meeting that helped deliver the man with the keys to the kingdom. I really don't know what all played into the picture. It's just that, that now I'm looking at it from a different perspective. I looked at it then from what was to come, but I'm looking at it now back over my shoulder at what was. From what is to be to what was can change the picture in a great degree. I don't know that He'll come. It's not settled. It's not sure. But I'm asking you that if He does, if He does, I want you to treat Him like a friend. I don't want you to hold Him at an arm's distance any longer. I want you to forget yesterday. 
Forget the gashes, the wounds, the words. Forget all of that. If He comes, receive Him. Receive Him. Now, let me, let me explain to you here. Paul is not telling them, I want you to elect Him as your pastor. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I, I, I want you to let him preach a revival. He didn't say that. These are the unspoken things. These are things that are not said, that, that you, just, you just have to read what you will into what is said. He didn't ask him to let him be a, a, a guest singer. or He didn't ask him to, well, look at him as, as an apostle or... A great. He just he just said, whatever whatever happens about him, if he gets there, I want you to receive him. The, the 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 bottom line is that I think it's time now, after the years, for whatever could be done for restoration to happen. Whatever could happen that would bring about a restitution. Whatever could develop that would bring about, well, just help fix some things of yesterday. Whatever, whatever is needed, if you will just open your arms and receive Him. Would you say it with me? Receive Him. If Marcus comes, just receive Him. Don't hold Him at a distance. And don't let Him be a stranger. That has been long enough now. You have received commandments in times gone by of what to do and how to treat Him. But I'm telling you now, it's time for us to approach it from a little different standpoint. It's time for bygones to be bygones. And it's time for brothers to be brothers. It's time for restoration. It's time for camaraderie. It's time for togetherness. It's time to throw down the hatchets and the swords and the divisions that have separated us in the past. And God knows now we're close enough to the end of my journey that I want to see the things that have fallen within my grasp and my power and my influence to be restored I don't know what you, I don't know what your personal feeling about it all is, but I just simply pause long enough tonight in my message, and I do not want to overextend my time here. But I, I, I feel that maybe the reason that God has, has quickened this to me, and, and it has become such a, a part of me, and it's become so heavy on my heart, and those words are holding me 
is that I have seen in my time some situations that I desperately look at at this hour and long for broken relationships to be mended again. I look at broken families that need to be put together again. I look at broken fellowships that need somehow to be restored and there to be a camaraderie and a togetherness again. And I feel if there's anything that God would have me to say here tonight is that every one of us who love this beautiful gospel and this beautiful truth, I want us somehow to look over the horizon and anticipate what would happen if the Marcus of your yesterdays would come on the scene at this time. I speak to men. I'm a pastor and I'm a preacher. And I know very well the feelings and I know the, I know the results and I know, I know some of the things that happen that cause misunderstandings and misgivings. And men feel that they're right. Both of them feel they're right in their own setting and in their own way and in their own circumstance. And it evidently, God honors that kind of a feeling about our feeling right because He allows us to go on sometimes when we vary with one another and do very profitable things for God. It, evidently, God honors and knows that those things happen. But I really feel tonight that there is a move among God's church to bring us to a unity and a togetherness like we have not known in my time that God could heal some things, heal some relationships, heal some brokenness, heal some scars that we could be the church that is unified in this last hour to draw the anointing of God upon us like we have never witnessed before. I am seeing some of this happen before my very eyes. I preached to somebody tonight. Let me just draw into the picture here a man by the name of Samson. Samson was not consecrated by his own consecration. He accepted the challenge of his mother's consecration. It was his mother that vowed about the no hair being cut or the hair not being cut situation. Samson entered into that consecration by his respect and his dedication. But sometimes an experience or a consecration or a dedication to a message or a cause that's picked up from parents can be toyed with. by the next generation.
and what was a life or death situation to Samson's mama. He respected it and he loved it. But being not born in his heart, he could toy with it. He could flirt with exploiting it. He could lay his help head in the lap of the enemy and, and tempt the enemy with it. You know the story. You can only tempt the enemy so long when you're playing with things that are too holy to be exploited. You can lay your head in the, in the lap of the enemy for so long and something's going to happen. You can toy with the anointing and you can flaunt it for so long without the consecration and the life to back it up. The enemy is going to learn your secret. My message is that it's sometimes impossible for you and I, just like Samson's enemy, it's impossible for us to keep our priorities and our perspective that the, that the secret is really the secret. I propose to you that if Samson's enemy would have believed that the hair was the, was the secret, they'd have kept a battery of barbers on duty to make sure that it never did grow out again. But they left him in jail and it was enough to, or, 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 grinding at the mill, being, being the beast of burden and that they laughed at and, and made fun of. It was enough to them that he was captivated. It was enough to them that he was blind. But somewhere in the heart of that old boy that had misused some things that had been handed to him, a desire deep within him began to churn again. I may have made a mockery. I may have lost out. I may have been a reproach to the cause. But if you'll give me one chance for vindication, let me do something at my death that will vindicate everything that I did against the cause of God. Let me do something greater at the end than I ever did during the beginning. And the Scripture says, how be it. One little Scripture. It says, how be it. The hair began to grow again. Come on, brethren. I believe you're feeling this with me tonight. Saints, could you feel it with me just a little bit here? Get with me just a little bit here. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just set the stage all the time. I want you to identify with what I'm trying to say now. Because I'm preaching to mothers that have got boys. I'm preaching to parents that have got children. I'm preaching to people 
that no pastors and preachers, that somewhere along the way they were sidelined. Somewhere along the way they were tagged as a nobody. They were tagged as a failure. Somewhere in an enemy camp they grind at a gristmill and they're the fun of the enemy. But who knows what's going on in the heart of that Samson? Who knows what's going on in the inward gut of that boy that knows he made a failure? I know I've made a flop. I know I've brought a reproach. But a cry in that heart. He's not trying to vindicate himself. He's not trying to be non-repentant. It's just that you're not there to hear what's going on in the groan of his soul. God, don't ever pay attention to the eye sockets that may be empty. You don't pay attention to the fact that you're playing the part of a beast of burden grinding at the mill that don't enter into the picture with God. But He's checking the condition of that heart. And the secret, the secret that was denied. And foolishly, with flirtatious relationships with the enemy, it was given away. The cry of a heart mingled with the fact, howbeit the hair began to grow again. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. There's a principle in relationships with God that if God is convinced of a condition of heart that has changed the situation, there is a restoration in the sight of God. Now, Samson just simply, Samson didn't know himself, just, just faith and a desire, that's all he had. He had no knowledge of what was going to happen. He just had a dream. He just had something that told him that if God could, could use me one more time. <laughs> so he just simply asked one of the little, one of the little children around, would you mind? You see, it was, in the, it was in the temple of the goddess, and they were all on the upper decks looking down through as it were. What do they call those things? Atrium type deal? And he was down here making, they were making sport of him. He said, if you would just take me, I'm, I'm, I'm weary. Take me to the, to the pillars upon which this thing rests. You just take me to the pillars. He was just an old blind beggar. 
He was a blind guy that everybody made fun of. It had been so long since he had even been a, a viable enemy. Until they didn't think anything of it. They just took him so he could lean on the pillar and rest. I've got news for you. Please don't underestimate. Don't underestimate a man that's ever been anointed of God if he ever leans on the pillar once again. Please don't underestimate. And while at the pillar, he just simply Praise the prayer that I've already told you must have been going on in his soul. God, I'm tired of the reproach that I brought. I'm tired of being the fun, the, the one that's made fun of. I'm tired of the things that I did. I just simply want you to let me do something. And the hair had grown out enough. just takes his arms and places them around the pillar. And that same anointing that had been on him in times past came back on him again. He perished in the, in the crumble. He perished in the calamity. But he did more damage at his death than he had ever done to the enemy in his life. I'm preaching to somebody here tonight. There's a Marcus coming in your life. There's a Marcus somewhere in your yesterdays. And the score has not been even yet. It has not been settled. For those of you tonight that need a few more biblical examples, and I don't want to take the time to preach them all, but please remember the story when Dad said goodbye to a boy that had gotten a whirly streak in him. Please remember that Dad not being able to wrestle the boy down and, 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 and hog time and physically make him do. He just simply had to acquiesce and say, okay, son, if this is the way you want it, I'll, just, I'll have to let you go. But please remember, there were two attitudes that stayed around the house. There was one of a dad that longed to see that boy. It was one of a dad that was willing to receive that boy. It was one of a father who cared enough for restoration. But there was an elder brother that had an attitude. I'd rather you die in the hog pen for what you've done. You brought a reproach. You brought shame to us. Please tonight. Don't blame me. I just couldn't get away from this. 
And I might not be preaching to over a half a dozen people in this building tonight. But yet I've got a sneaking feeling that somewhere in the background of every Christian that sits in this building, you wouldn't have to go too many years back down the road that you'd find the markers in your life. I'm not asking you to put him up. I'm not asking you to put him in the choir. I'm not asking you to... I'm just asking you be a Christian about it. And instead of tagging him and sending him on down the road as a hopeless, as a nobody, please just see a potential of something that might happen in his life if you could receive him instead of rejecting him. I guess perhaps one of the things that I could tell you that might that might help explain what I'm trying to preach and what I'm trying to say to you. One of the more recent wars the story goes that there was there's a situation or a system that they call in, in the military strategy after a battle. They call it T-R-I-A-G-E, if I make no mistake. I think that's right. Triage or whatever. That system is that as soon as the battle is over, the battlefield, of course, being strewn, with the bodies of the dead and the wounded. As quickly as they possibly can, they send a team of people that are very experienced and adapt at evaluating the situation of the wounded. And on their person or in their possession, they have the tags. Now this, this just simply, as soon as the battle is over, as soon as they can safely get out there to assess the situation, and there's one tag that they have, a certain color, that says, this individual is wounded beyond hope. He will not live regardless. There's another tag that says, wounded but would survive with immediate medical attention. And then there's another tag that says they'll make it. Don't let them be the first priority. They'll make it. They'll hang in there. After such a battle, after the people that were, that were used to make the first evaluation. Then next comes the nursing team, those who administer the quickest form of aid that they can on the battlefield. They put a bandage or they put a tourniquet or they do whatever is, is possible at that particular moment to salvage the situation. And on one of these excursions, a little nurse was going through the field and finding the color of tag of the ones that she was to minister to. And she happened to see one tag 
and it startled her. And the tap will not survive regardless of attention. But she knelt down close enough to him to see that he was still breathing. And she just whispered, He opened his eyes when he heard a voice. And she said, Where are you from? He said in his very weakened and wounded way, I'm from Ohio. She said, I'm from Ohio too. She said, Where from in Ohio? And if I remember right, it was Cleveland maybe. He said, she said, well, that, that's where I'm from, too. I'm from Cleveland. And he had a tag tied to him. Cannot survive regardless of help. She reaches into her nurse's pocket. She said, please don't tell anybody that I'm doing this. But she slips that hopeless tag off of him. Puts it in her pocket. And in its place... She puts a tag, we'll survive if given medical attention quickly. When they came in for the rescue squad, they picked him up because he had a tag that identified him as being somebody that could survive if given immediate immediate attention. They took him to the hospital. Oh yeah. He went through life without a leg, but he lived to have a family. He lived to hold down a job. He lived to have a a, a full and meaningful life in this world just because somebody took the time to reevaluate a hopeless situation. if the brother had found your tag if I were to call the name tonight most every one of you would remember and you would know because it would ring a bell because it's that familiar 20 years ago a man whose father was a missionary whose father was an official, served in an official capacity in our organization in our part of the country. His sister and husband does a great work for God till this day. A family that's involved in the work of God. That man pastored a great church and pastored two or three very successful churches. Went on missionary journeys across the seas and was used of God. But somehow or another, that man fell into sin a situation that was that was very deplorable. He fell into sin. And for 20 years, you'd see that man, his countenance would be empty. His face would be void of a smile. He just simply existed. That's all he did. He existed. 
But after losing his mother some time ago, and that mother, he knew that that mother had prayed for him every waking hour of the day, prayed for that boy that had lost out with God. It did something to him. He showed up, or his wife showed up in our church on Easter Sunday morning. I said, please tell. And I called his name. I said, tell him. Tell him to come. Tell him to be here. She said, I'll tell him. I saw that man come back into our church the next Sunday with his wife. His head bowed from the shame of the, of the years of guilt. His countenance so, so dejected and rejected. So hopeless was his, was his feeling. So hopeless was his outlook. But I saw him Sunday by Sunday. And finally one day through a real heavy move of the Holy Ghost. I ask everybody regardless whether you're a member or visitor. Don't matter. Please come up around the altar. And I saw that man break away from where he was. And walk up toward the altar and stood sort of back behind the crowd, still wanting to be oblivious. And I saw him, tears, his face almost swollen with tears and weeping. The Holy Ghost let me know to go over. I walked over. I put my arm around him. I said, and I called him a name. I said, there's hope, Papa. There's hope. There's hope. You can get right with God. You can, you can, you can, you can. There is hope. I saw that man as I was with my arm around him. I felt the Holy Ghost. I just jerked back and went to talking in tongues. And somehow I breathed enough hope into him. He jerked back and he went to talking in tongues. It has been weeks now and even spreading into months. And just now am I getting enough out of that man to see that he really believes there's hope for him to be saved. Whether he'll ever be a minister, that's out of the question. That, that, that don't even enter into the picture. I'm not worried about that. But just to see the smile on his face now. Just to see the joy of the Lord that he can lift his hands in the temple without being ashamed of himself. That he can clap his hands and feel that there's hope. to somebody tonight that's got a Marcus in your life. And you'd be surprised to know what it would do to their life if they could just believe there's hope that they could at least be saved. Would somebody lift your hands and pray with me right now? I look in this congregation today and maybe I shouldn't call the name but right before me I was preaching a revival or camp meeting 
in Minnesota. I preached a message concerning faith. I don't even remember what the, what the message was. I just remember that there was a woman came up to me after that, after that message that night. And, and, and she, was, she was almost breathless. She was, she was so excited. And she said, I want you to agree with me because I've got a husband that's away from God. He lost out with God. He was a preacher. And he lost out with God and he's backslidden. And I've been holding on. I just feel like if you'll agree with me tonight, something has touched my heart and I believe that God is going to bring him back. I said, all right, I'll agree with you. We stood there on that platform and agreed with that woman. That's been so many years ago, I'd forgotten all about it. In a meeting not too long back, I guess a couple of years or so, she met me in the halls of a general conference. I didn't realize, I I didn't remember the first of the story. She looked at a tall, kind of grayish blonde guy standing by her, and she said, here he is! I said, who? Who are you talking about? She said, don't you remember that message you preached at, at, at the conference in Minnesota? Don't you remember when I walked up there and we agreed? My husband was away from God, lost out with God. Come to find out now, he's one of our evangelists on the field. And miracles of unbelievable proportion are happening in his life and in his ministry. God is using him in a great way. Somebody, somebody determined, I'll not let the tag of hopelessness got a telephone call just just uh, I guess a few months ago telephone call voice on the other end of the line said I just wanted to tell you and sister Ewing Thank you for your thank you for your records. Thank you for your tapes. Thank you for your songs. He said, "Do you remember the the general conference in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia?" I said, "Sure, sure, I remember it well." He said, "I was one of the host pastors that entertained that conference and stood on the platform, welcoming the crowd to our city." And he said, "After that conference, somewhere down the line, I lost my way." I lost my direction. I lost out with God. He said, when I tell you I went to the bottom, I went to the bottom. Brother Ewing, I went to the bottom. He said, I turned on everything and turned on everybody. I never intended once again to ever have anything to do with God or the church. I just... He said, but I've got a brother. And my brother brought me some of your tapes and he said he said I put them away I don't want to hear those tapes I don't want to he said one day in a in a hopeless situation in my life he said something spoke to me and said go get one of those tapes and play that tape he said on my way to my next appointment I put that tape in he said when the tape started I started weeping and he said that's been weeks ago and I have not gotten through weeping yet. I'm still weeping. 
But he said, that tape and the message and my brother that would not give up on me. And for a year and a half, I held those tapes away and wouldn't listen to them. But he said, now... And that's been just a couple of weeks ago. He said, I went back to the church. I've made my way to an altar. God has refilled me with the Holy Ghost. And I'm happy. I'm walking with God. I was in Baltimore just the other night. He came up at the close of that service with a smile on his face. And a delegation of people from his church. He said, I just want you to know I'm happier than I've ever been in all of my life. Is anybody here tonight willing to take a chance instead of letting him still remain a stranger? Instead of letting him die with the tag that he's been pronounced with, the first verdict? Is there anybody that would say, when my Marcus I'll know what to do. I'll hold on and I'll believe until the hair grows again or until whatever. I'll hold on and I will not give up. If this message has been a blessing to you today, Please pass it along to someone else or simply tell them about PreachItAudio.com. If you would like to find a spirit-filled church where lives are transformed in your area, I encourage you to email us today at churches at PreachItAudio.com. Let us know the city and state you live in and we will reply back to you very quickly to direct you to the church in your area where you will receive the strength you need for your life today and where you too can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost.